Welcome to Hashtags and Stilettos with Sakita Holly, the podcast that's like having your own personal publicist in your pocket, sharing business, lifestyle, and PR tips on demand. On today's episode, I'll be answering your most pressing business, career, and PR questions straight out of my inbox. If you ever have a question that you'd like answered on this show, you can email it to hashtags at hos-pr.com. You can also join the conversation online using the hashtag, hashtags and stilettos and you can follow the podcast on instagram at hashtags and stilettos or you can follow me on twitter and instagram at miss success that's m-i-s-s success to sign up for the future hashtags and stilettos newsletter you can text the word hashtags to 444-999 on your cell phone and follow the instructions on your screen the newsletter will likely launch in early 2017 and that's where all future podcasts guests and product announcements will be shared first it's been a long time, long time. I shouldn't have left you, left you without a dope step two step two I'm so happy to be back talking to you guys. Was definitely on a bit of a hiatus, so the first thing that I had to do was go through my inbox, pull out all your questions, and make sure I get these answered (laughs) before I do anything else. So I'm just going to jump into the first question. So someone asked, how should I add online classes that I've taken on lynda.com or udemy.com to my resume? And first, I think it's amazing that you've been taking online courses to enhance your knowledge and skill set. I am a huge, huge fan of online courses. My particular uh, favorite platform is Coursera. Um, I have tried lynda.com, I believe, once. I haven't tried it since um, LinkedIn acquired it. But I am a huge fan of online courses. Do anything that you can to enhance your skill set, especially when it comes to professional development. Uh, But if you've taken any courses online that are directly related to your industry or current position or the position that you're trying to get, you should definitely consider adding them under the education section of your resume. Like Coursera has course tracks that allow you to receive a certification and depending on their partnership with the university, you can even get an online MBA or other degree. But if you if that's if you pay the associated fees, which are still a lot more economical than if you'd went through uh, directly through that same university. But Depending on how you took the course, so did you just take the course and you didn't get a certification, make sure you indicate that. And if you did get a certification or if you did get some kind of degree, you should note that as well. Um, And I'm assuming that you're currently job hunting. So the important thing here is to be ready to explain to a recruiter or an interviewer how that course or those courses have had an immediate impact on your day-to-day work or how they've sharpened your skills. Because it's one thing to kind of add a whole bunch of stuff to your resume, but if you can't explain it, or if you can't explain the value that it adds by being on the page, then you shouldn't have it on the page. So put online courses, if there's value, um, and if there's a direct correlation between the work that you're doing now or the work that you'd like to be doing, put those under the education section. So the second question is, 
I am currently a Health Peace Corps volunteer in Ethiopia, and your podcast has been giving me life. I have been in Ethiopia for almost eight months now, and I am torn because I don't know how to take my career to the next level. I want to do my master's, but I also want to do international volunteer work. So far, I have not been doing anything in my community due to lack of support, and I keep thinking about leaving, but I don't know if I should stay or leave. What would Sakita do? First of all, shout out to you for listening to me all the way in Ethiopia. Like, that's crazy. Like, that's crazy to me. So first, I I just have to say I appreciate you, but also... Based on your question, it appears that you may have you may have it more figured out than you think. You say you want to do international volunteer work and get your master's. Well, you're already doing one of those things by being in the Peace Corps. So have you considered applying for an international graduate program in an area where you'd like to continue to do your Peace Corps work? This way you can do both at the same time. Um, and, you know, kill two birds with one stone and be done. The second part of your question uh, was about not doing things in your own community due to lack of support and you want to leave. Since you're not here for me to ask you any follow-up questions, uh, I'll try to answer this one like to the best of my ability. Lack of support sucks, but it should never be a deterrent. So many people, including myself, I've definitely been... Um, Somebody that does this, sit on their natural born talent or avoid some kind of work because they're waiting for a cosign or some kind of support to show up. But if you truly want to do something, you just have to do it and hope that people will be inspired by the example you've set and that they'll join in on your efforts later. But if any part of your work is dependent on having an audience or a crowd cheering you on or saying, oh my God, this is amazing, then you'll likely never really get started. But also, with you already being outside of your community and country, you've clearly already grasped this concept. And sometimes if you find yourself in your feelings a bit and you feel alone or you feel unsupported, you have to remind yourself that your path is just that. It's your path, and no one is obligated to walk it with you. That may be a harsh reality. Um, it would be it would be nice to have company sometimes, but the reality is this is your life. This is your path, and you really have to do the things that are on your heart and on your mind to do. And like I said, hope that people will be so inspired by your example that they'll want to join you at some point. But... I mean, it sounds like you're killing it. Can I come to Ethiopia, though? Like, email me again and let me know, you know, where I got to book my flight. Because that's amazing. But anyway, the next question. Okay, I think this, this one's a little bit long, but I recently started a nonprofit and business which both promote empowering women with confidence, self-worth, and love. I want to consider more ways to reach my target audience, and I've become obsessed with podcasts. When thinking of other ways to reach my audience, gain exposure, 
and other streams of income, I've considered vlogging or podcasting and hopefully want to tradition, um, transition rather into speaking engagements. The question is, what's your personal opinion on the success and rise of podcasting? And do you think it's now the new form of blogging? Could it potentially grow larger than vlogging? So she said, do I think it's the new form of blogging, writing, or could it potentially be larger than vlogging, doing video uh, blogs? So I actually get this kind of question often these days. And, you know, although podcasts have been around for years now, people are really starting to see them as like the shiny new thing. But podcasting is not easy. And I would never recommend that someone just jump into this lane just to make money or just to try and and appease their audience and say, you know, check a box and say, okay, I have a Facebook, I have an Instagram, I have a podcast. Like you don't want to, you don't want to just do it just to do it or do it because you see um, people are having success in this lane. You have to really enjoy doing this and be committed from the very beginning because you can't just say, okay, I'm going to start a podcast for for my nonprofit, for my business, and then quit after three episodes. Um, So you need to really examine what your goals are and and also examine what you're personally good at because your personality may be better suited for a different platform or medium. Maybe you should be in front of a camera doing vlogs. Maybe you should be doing you know, more writing um, that will get your nonprofit or whatever the message is that you're trying to uh, get to your audience out. Maybe you should be doing that in a different way. Now, do I think podcasts will be bigger than vlogging? Well, podcasts and vlogging both have their own lanes and their own audiences, but I definitely don't, do not see podcasting overtaking vlogging anytime soon. Think about radio and TV. When radio became, you know, there's a lot of people, every time something comes out, people say, oh, this is going to eat that. And people have been saying that with radio and TV for a long time, but TV will always be king in terms of influence. TV, any kind of video or visual where you can actually see people doing things will always be king. Now, radio, the audio aspect definitely comes in at a close second in terms of the personal brand aspect and, you know, being able to build a business. Uh, Because if you look at how some of the most popular radio personalities have used that platform to really branch out and build their brand. But again, small and big screen stars. So when you're thinking about TV or you you look at what's happening with Issa Rae, how she went from YouTube to HBO. I mean, there was uh, obviously other stops along the way. But had she started at a pod, you know, doing Awkward Black Girl, Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl on a podcast, it may have taken her a lot longer to get to the HBO route. So podcasting will not overtake vlogging anytime soon. But but again, I think I think that there's a great parallel and you just really have to figure out what works best for you and your personality And if you're thinking about launching a podcast for your business, just make sure you're going to be super, super, super committed to that because it's not something you should just do and drop or, you know, you can't really half-ass it. 
Question number four. In 2016, it's more important than ever to be aware of how your customers are talking about you. And while we'd like to think our customers only say nice things about us, the reality is that the emergence of social media has caused brands to face scrutiny far often, far more often than they'd like. As a PR expert, how do you believe brands should handle negative online reviews or comments? What are some of the best ways brands can handle these troublesome issues? The absolute best thing that a brand, a person, entity, whatever can do when a customer or consumer or client or anybody writes a negative comment about them online is to respond and work quickly to resolve the issue. That's it. It's not rocket science. Although a lot of brands do approach it like it's the hardest thing ever. But if you look at how a lot of negativity around brands bubbles up, if you look at, say you can look at any airline, especially, you know, during the holidays, and it's usually when customers feel mistreated and ignored. If a customer has reached out and they're, you know, they've gone through the proper channels and then now they're tweeting you and you just don't respond at all, they're going to continue to tweet. And those tweets are going to, as time goes on, get more and more unpleasant. And it's like the worst thing that you can do is continue to post as you normally would and ignore this person who's having a bad experience with your product or service. Because the, I've learned this and I've seen this on the client side um, whenever we're managing accounts. Somebody will say something negative, but the minute we respond to them, which is usually pretty quickly, the minute we respond to them or answer their question, their whole entire tone changes and it like goes back to being civil. Now, that always struck me as crazy because I'm like, you was really ready to turn up, huh? But as soon as we said, oh, you know, we'll take care of it, or no, this is what actually happened, they're like, oh, okay, thanks for letting me know. Huh? But you just, okay. But, but again, it comes down to people wanting to be heard. And this also goes for compliments and positive comments. I see some brands, I see influencers do it, I see bloggers do it, and it, it drives me crazy where they never, ever respond to any comment, like even the positive ones, like say thank you. And it's just so crazy to me because we live in a social media first world. So the easiest way to lose an existing or a potential customer is usually through social media, but it's to ignore them. So the name of the game in dealing with any kind of negative comment is to respond and, you know, try your best to... um, remedy the situation and yes I am aware that some people do say the craziest stuff online or they may be asking a question that you answered a million times but guess what answer it again (laughs) okay so the next question is I am a singer and songwriter and I'm looking to take myself to the next level You recently spoke on a panel pertaining to securing sponsorships and partnerships for groups, collectives, and companies, but what about for a personal brand? I want to treat my talent as a business, and today's industry makes it possible to do so, but how? 
I'm not interested in becoming a spectacle. I really want to have my talent speak for itself. So my question is, how do you think I can get that done? Like what kinds of people and brands should I look into approaching? And what other ways can I become connected and promoted through brands other than by by becoming a brand rep? So obviously this will require a much longer conversation, but first I want to talk about your personal brand. One of the ways that, because that's the thing that you actually need to be focused on right now at this very moment before you even think about working with the brand. So one of the ways that you can build your brand as a musician, and this is, I'm just throwing a random idea out there, is to do videos live or recorded showing people how you create your art or showing them your talent. Just take them through that creative process. Like this podcast started with the Timbaland song. Like there's a, a YouTube video somewhere of like Timbaland, Swiss Beats, Pharrell, all like I think it was during the making of Jay Z's. Um, Holy Grail, Magna Carta, Holy Grail album when they were just in a room making beats and like it was so powerful. I mean, we know who they are now, but to see that process and then to hear the finished product later, it makes you respect them as an artist more and it makes you want to learn more about what they're doing. So what you can do as a singer songwriter is If you want people to learn about your talent or know about it, show us. Do, you know, every musician these days has a SoundCloud page, which means that lane is super crowded and everyone is sending their SoundCloud links. But what if you could send a link to a two-minute Periscope video of you just creating a new song or, you know, taking us through your process? And what if you turn that into a weekly routine where you just invite people into your experience? It doesn't matter if it's one person or two people. Over time, people will take notice and they'll share it with their friends and then your personal brand grows in the process because now you're known as the woman who writes beautiful songs on Periscope and it's so crazy that she can write this song in 30 minutes or she wrote this hit song in 15 minutes or wow, look at how she does how she creates melodies like you that's how you grow a personal brand through consistently doing a thing you know that a personal brand is a is basically your reputation what are you known for and again I I think I said this on a past episode but your brand is not what you say it is it's what the audience says it is so what are you showing the audience consistently to make them form an opinion about that so now that that's obviously just one very, very, very specific example. But really, if you're a creative, an artist, a musician, the way to build any brand is just do the work consistently and visibly over a long period of time until people know you for doing that work. And going back to the part where you wanted to talk about working with brands, that's going to come later once you've established yourself. Now, while this may happen, you can't just expect brands to automatically reach out to you. So be prepared to do some pitching of your own to brands that you love 
use or feel that your values are closely aligned with. I'm going to have to expound on that a little bit more in a future episode, but the most important piece to this answer is really focusing right now on amplifying your talents and building up your audience and community. Let them into your process or give them access to more of you so that they can kind of form the opinion that you currently have of yourself that you would like other people to have of you, if, if that makes sense. All right, next question. So this question comes from a very popular blogger. She asked, I've actually been thinking about doing a podcast for moms for a while now, but haven't started it yet. Do you have any tips you can share? I'm concerned about time effort versus financial payoff. So I touched on this a little bit earlier, but I am totally against jumping on a platform or trend solely so that you can make money from it. And you know when we see other bloggers talking about a product or a video, um, product in a video or a post that may be sponsored, but we can tell right away that they don't actually use those products and that they're just doing it for money. You don't want to be that person, especially when it comes to podcasts. I said it earlier, I'll say it again. Podcasts are trendy at the moment, but the ones that you see experiencing success are that's because they've put in real hard work effort and authenticity passion and consistency if you aren't going to be bringing those things to the table don't even attempt to build or expand your brand onto this platform just don't do it don't create more work for yourself unnecessarily if your heart isn't in it now with that being said a podcast for moms is a great idea especially you know if you if you make it even more niche or make it even more specific i think you could really find a huge audience of people that would be interested in that thing. Um, And this goes for any of you that are listening that are thinking about starting a podcast or you're thinking about starting a blog or a youtube channel whatever it is you and we we get into this mistake often where we feel that we have to come in with a broad topic to pull people in. But that's not true. If you go in super, super, super niche, like I'm going to start a YouTube channel for the owners of pets with um, no hair or no fur or something. That's super specific, but there is a group of people out there who can relate. So maybe you have a video talking about how do you bathe a cat or a dog with no fur and, you know, what are the steps that that entails? But you can find an audience if you talk about the thing that you really want to talk about. Don't feel like you have to broaden your scope to attract people because you're yes you you will attract people but they're not going to stick around because those people aren't for you they're not supposed to be in that tribe so um and and when she asked about the time effort versus financial payoff now there are some podcasts that have been in the game for years aren't generating any money um there are some that you know positioned their podcast for um monetized it right away again 
if you do decide to, to step into the podcasting world, you can leverage your existing relationships with brands to possibly monetize it from day one. Uh, but again, make sure that you're going to be super committed to it uh, or else you'll be just creating more work for yourself. So that was question number six the last question and then we're going to get out of here what are your thoughts on a one-person brand using the word we when putting out public messages i am a one-man brand but the company is bigger than me is using we a good approach i love this question I do. I think it's such an amazing question. And I'm sure that there are people listening right now who maybe have done this or, or maybe thinking about this uh, for their own business. So I have a small team that I work with now. But when I first started my PR firm, it was literally it was just me. Couldn't call nobody. It was just me. And because I'm in a service based field that is literally based on establishing or changing perceptions, I use we a lot when talking to prospective clients or just talking about my business in general. It was definitely one of those fake it till you make it moments, but you have to understand the psychology of it. And I understood that the notion or sense that there'll be a team of people supporting your project or work, it gives people a sense of security. And when the time came and people would actually ask about this we, like, who, who, who is we? <laughs> who is we and where is we? <laughs> That's when I would discuss, you know, how I'd build a support team with expertise that was connected to the scope of work because that's how agent, that's what happens in agencies. If they get a, a new client, they can hire for that project. Um, but I want to be clear is that I would never lie or fabricate a team or create an about us page with imaginary people on it. But saying we instead of I does have a very real impact on how people perceive you in your business and how they choose to engage with you. I'll give you an example in terms of just the perception of, you know, and you being an individual or one man or woman brand um, versus you coming through the door with a team. So, you know, in certain cases, I've gotten referrals for business. My work has spoken very loudly for itself. And, you know, my firm has been invited to pitch for business based on that work. You know, I come in, I do my thing and companies, they're, they're ready to close the deal. But then they ask again about the team aspect. And now I, I do have a team that I call on that works on certain things. But in some cases, I've lost business because people feel that, oh, your team is too small. How are you going to get this done? But it's like, didn't you invite me into the room because I got this done for somebody else? Ain't that why we here? <laughs> but again, that that's, that's just the point that I want to make, that perceptions are very strong and people literally... Even if it's a business, the people making the decisions, they make these decisions based on personal feelings, gut feelings. And if they feel like, okay, you, I don't think you can get it done, it is what it is. Um, and there's really nothing I could do. There's nothing you can do about these experiences. But it, and it reminds me 
of one of my favorite quotes, which is, you can't control how you are perceived, but you have 100% control over how you are presented. Um, And I believe, I personally believe in saying we more than I say I, even if you are a one man or woman shop. So go for it and good luck with growing your brand in your business. Thank you for listening to another episode of Hashtags and Stilettos. Again, if you ever have a question that you want answered on this show, you can email it to hashtags at hos-pr.com. You can also join the conversation online using the hashtag hashtags and stilettos. And you can follow the podcast on Instagram at hashtags and stilettos. Spell it all out. Or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Miss Success. That's M-I-S-S Success. As I mentioned at the start of this episode, you can also join the email list by texting hashtags with an S to 444-999 and follow the instructions on your phone screen. Again, that's hashtags, all one word with an S to 444-999 and follow the instructions on your phone screen. Until next time.